And this was really the beginning of the end for radio as we knew it, John. Did you recognize that early? Oh, yes. Yes. For example, I remember going out to Chicago to record a show with Jimmy Durante and Don Amici when they were happened to be in Chicago and, you know, close enough so that I could go out by train and spend the night and then come back the next night. Mm -hmm. Coming through Pennsylvania at this time, I noticed these houses all with the television antennas everywhere you looked. And I suddenly realized I better get out of radio because here it is, even out here like Johnstown and places like that, the houses uh, way down the valley had tall antennas and the ones up high had short ones, but they were everywhere. And all of a sudden, uh, radio was slackening up, and uh, whether you like television or not, you had to get into it if you wanted to keep on working. The U.S. spent the first 10 months of 1949 in a recession. Competition for advertising dollars was stiffer. There were now over 2,600 AM and FM stations. Television was becoming a serious threat. Over 100 TV stations were on the air. Only two network radio shows had ratings higher than 20. Just two years earlier, they were 15. Radio's average top 50 ratings dropped 30% to its lowest since 1937. Suddenly, the reality of radio drama's demise was staring men and women in the face, like the just-heard John Gibson who played Ethelbert on Casey, crime photographer. Meanwhile, NBC, ABC, CBS, and the DuMont Network reported a combined TV income of $29.4 million. But advertisers were learning that TV production costs were much greater than radios. The extra money had to come from somewhere, and radio budgets were the likely source. Seven of radio's top nine shows now aired on CBS. But that's not to say that there weren't NBC radio successes. Let's talk a little bit about Dragnet again, working with Jack Webb. Yeah. You would, were a part of his company, yes. so to speak. Mm -hmm. It was an informal company, yeah. wasn't it? Oh, yes, sure. Never. It's just that he relied on these people, not meaning to, I'm sure. He didn't set out to form a group. But it was very hard to break into that little company of his. He it looked, was Vic Perrin. And, he looked, I think, for a naturalness on the part of his Oh, actors. yes, he did. And he wanted the audience, whether on radio or television, to identify with these people, or at least to listen to them and say, that is really how this, That's right. this person would sound on that. That being so, strangely, I have done some of the broadest characters I've ever done for Jack. I mean, really broad, far-out characters, except he felt that they were real. What he didn't want you to do was act. As long as you could be real in whatever you were doing, that was fine. What kind of direction did he give you then with that end in mind? Not any more than he had to. Not character direction. He'd hand you the part and say she's A or it was written out that mm -hmm. way. And if you, you got too far off, he'd bring you back. Mm -hmm. And you knew what was expected of you and you he sure knew did. that you could uh -huh. do what he was looking for. That's so right. it's just went. Yeah. How long did it take to do a Dragnet radio show, for example? Would it be a one-day thing? Oh, yeah. A whole day? Half a day? No, not a whole day. Not even a whole day, huh? Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes brings you Dragnet. 
You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to robbery detail. Two armed bandits have robbed a large jewelry store in your city. One of the suspects escapes. One is apprehended. He's identified as a friend of yours. Your job, send him to prison. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Jack Webb's Dragnet premiered coast to coast on Friday, June 3rd, 1949 at 10 p.m. Eastern Time over NBC. Superbly blended to make Fatima extra mild. It featured some of Hollywood Radio's most talented character actors, like the just-heard Virginia Gregg. It wasn't long before Liggett and Myers Tobacco signed on as sponsor. And redoubling its smokers. So, if you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, February 8th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way over from the city hall, and it was 8.35 p.m. when I got to the second floor of the Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. Treatment room. Oh, hi. Hi, Doc. Ben, how's it going? Okay. It hurt for a while. Doc gave me an injection. Six of a grain of morphine, Novocaine injection. Bullet still on your shoulder? Doc's about ready to take it out. As soon as I get the wound clean, here's the soap and water, nurse. Alcohol sponge, please. How's it look, Doctor? Well, there's the x-ray, shallow penetrating wound in the deltoid area. Slubs, mm-hmm. larger than the soft tissue right here. Oh, yeah. No bone involvement. Okay, the bullet was spent. That's good. Feel okay? Sure. Nurse, methylate applicators, please. All right. Let's see now. Where'd you leave Tyler, Joe? Interrogation room. Reynolds and Thompson are with him. Let me have the probe, nurse. Yeah. Feel anything, Romero? No. That's it. You hear that? Hear what? Located the slug with the probe. Oh. Nurse, close it. Thanks. There we go. Oh, steady. You call your wife? No, oh, she don't know where I... Here it is, boys. On the market for evidence? Yeah, give it to me, will you? I will. Nurse, sterile saline solution. Here, get the wound. No sign of Tyler's partner, huh, Joe? Guy got me? No, not yet, no. Sterile dressings, please. How long did you know this, Tyler? Before he went wrong, I mean. I met him in the army. Helped him line up a job when he got on. It's too bad. Sure is funny. Meeting a friend of yours pulled an armed robbery. Must have surprised you, huh? Yeah, kind of. You want me to drive you home when the doc's finished here? Let's go back to the office and talk to Tyler first. Okay. That all right, Doc? No. You're staying right here, Romero, till tomorrow morning. If you haven't got a temperature by then, I might release you. Well, it's only a flesh wound, Doc. I feel all right. I'm not taking any chances with gunshot wounds. If infection set in and you were laid up, I'd have the pension committee to answer to. You're staying here. Sounds like an order. It is. You can pick him up in the PNF ward tomorrow morning. Okay. You gonna need anything, Ben? Yeah. A phone to tell my wife I won't be home for dinner. His name was Max Tyler, white, male American, age 32. Dark hair, brown eyes, medium build, married, father of twin boys. He was a friend of mine. We served together in the Army overseas, and when the war finished, I came back to my job on the force and 
Max went back to his old job. It didn't fit him anymore. He stopped working and started drinking. His wife didn't help much. Max started with small trouble, but it grew fast. On the afternoon of February the 8th, Tuesday, Ben and I surprised two men holding up a Main Street jewelry shop. Shots were exchanged, and Ben received a flesh wound in the shoulder. One of the hold-up men escaped. The other one was apprehended. His name was Max Tyler. Hi, Larry. Hi, Joe. Glad you got here. Tyler says he won't talk to anybody but you. Okay, boy. Thanks for standing by. Sure. I'll be outside if you need anything. Max? Joe? You're in deep this time. You shot a cop. I didn't. This guy was with me. I didn't fire once. You were in on the job. Yeah. Then don't expect presents. I don't expect anything, Joe. Glad you came back. I, I don't want to talk to those other cops. I work in the same department they do, same job. Well, it's easier to talk to you. What's your story? I was crazy to try it. No alibis, Joe, but I, I didn't know what I was doing. Believe me, I, I just didn't realize. I won't buy it, Max. You told me the same thing 14 months ago when they picked you up for those bum checks you were passing. Sure, I hung some paper, but I'm no hood, Joe. You know that. Uh, I was drinking. I needed dough for Dorothy and the kids. You gotta believe me. I need a break. You said that before, too. I went to bat for you, got up with six months and three years probation. Now you turn up with another caper. I know, Joe, I know. I'm sorry. You're sorry once, Max, and it works, but one free ride's enough for anybody. Now, that's it. Did I say I wanted that kind of a break? I'll, I'll serve my time, Joe. I'll serve every day I owe. And then what can you tell me you couldn't have told the other cops? I want to ask you a favor. Yeah? I know you're going to hook me on this. So while I'm doing my time... Dorothy and the kids are staying with relatives out in Inglewood. Just keep an eye on them, you know, Joe. I, I don't mean dough. Dorothy can work with... Kind of watch out for them, huh? Give them a break, Joe. It's not their fault. You do it, Joe? Yeah. Sure, I'll take care of it. Now, you do something for me. Anything you want, guy. Let's have the straight story. Who was the guy with you on that holdup this afternoon? Cresta, George Cresta, you know him. Out of Folsom, short guy, black hair? Yeah, yeah, he's got a room above the Red Owl Bar down on East 3rd near Broadway. That's where he hangs out. Where can we find Cresta now? Oh, maybe there, I don't know. I'll give you a list of the places he goes. Some of his friends I've met. He sure roped me in. Said there wasn't going to be any rough stuff. You were carrying an S&W 38? Sure, sure. When they got outside the jewelry shop, Cresta jammed the gun in my hand. I had to put it away, get it out of sight. Believe me, Joe, he roped me into this. It sounds like an alibi, no. This but is I your could... second time around, Max. It sounds like one. Okay, I got nothing coming. Don't forget about Dorothy and the kids. Huh? I promised you. Now, you want to give me a full statement on the holdup now? Anything you say, Joe. I'll call for a stenographer. Joe. Yeah. I'm sorry. I am. I believe you. We got the feeling too late, that's all. Max Tyler was arraigned in municipal court two days later. Bail was set at $10,000. CBS took notice. A month after Dragnet's premiere, they shifted Broadway is My Beat to Hollywood and put it under Elliot Lewis's direction. For more info on the launch of Dragnet, tune into Breaking Walls episode 111. For more on Elliot Lewis's career, tune into Breaking Walls episode 113. Our informants had no lead on him, and the all-points bulletin containing all the information we had on Cresta brought in nothing.